Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the 165th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And I'm delighted to say that uh, Frank, because Stan's not here, I'll explain to you in a minute why he's not here. Uh, we're joined by Carolyn Eyre again. Hello, Carolyn. Oh, good morning. Yeah, you're in sort of rather damp Dordogne. Yeah, I am. It's been, uh, we've been here since Sunday. I think it's rained every day so far. Wow. It's brightened up a little bit for this morning, but the light's going to come in and out, I think. Oh, is it right? Right. <laughs> well, I've just come back from a week in Mallorca, um, uh, which has been a real treat with my wife. And uh, we had very nice weather, very sunny. I think we only had about one minute of rain. So uh, Excellent. it's been a lovely week. Um, but yes. back on it today, uh, I'm actually engaged in doing an evaluation of the summary reports that are done on multi academy trusts. I did this for an organization last year, and I'm going to update it today um, to see what they're finding. And I heard also that Ofsted today uh, or yesterday announced that they're not going to do any more until April because they apparently don't have the resource to do it. So, uh, yeah. anyway, so we'll see what that produces. But the reason why Stan isn't here is that uh, his daughter Helen is getting married to Gavin O'Brien today. So it's their big wedding day. And uh, I have to say, I saw Stan last night. He, he's He's got a, this sort of nasty cough that he can't quite get rid of. And, of course, he's got his uh, speech to give today. So uh, I wish him well. And I'm sure everybody that follows us will do the same. So uh, it's just Carolyn and me today. Uh, but Stan will be back with us uh, next week. So um, I thought I'd kick off if that's right. Oh, just just explain to people briefly. Sorry. Who are you? Because there may be people that haven't watched the video before or the podcast. So they'll be thinking, well, who is Carolyn Eyre? So uh, okay. just give us a little summary as to the sort yeah. of work you do. Okay. Uh, so I'm an independent safeguarding consultant. I work nationally with local authorities, large multi-academy trusts, very small, <laughs> very small trusts. Um, I spend most of my time in the NAS, in the special school sector with NAS, which is the National Association of Independent and non-maintained special schools. Um, I audit, I do a lot of training, a lot of DSL support, a lot of supervision now, and then complex disciplinaries and investigations and inquiries. Um, so, so before all it, that, I think you worked in Leeds, didn't you? I think yeah, so I was, the, um, I, I was the head of safeguarding for, uh, for Leeds for quite a lot of years. Um, and then sort of in the latter years of the role, um, became head of health safety and well-being so that brought the child protection and the health and safety together under one banner um so all the asbestos if i was still there now i suppose i would be dealing with the aerated concrete (laughs) (laughs) very relieved i left although although interestingly i'm the chair of trustees of i think the only setting in leeds that's got this aerated concrete and it's it's a nightmare it's an absolute nightmare all the stuff they say about all the support you have and the porter cabins it's not it's not right (laughs) that's not that's not what's happening (laughs) um so yeah it was a big role but i I left leeds um 11 years 12 years ago um and and i we we got to know each other because i was aware of the fact that the the trust that i was running um really was very much relying on individuals to be responsible for the safeguarding in their individual schools so i was worried that there may be sort of practice or gaps in provision so I asked Carolyn to come and do some audit work and then she did some training work for us there as well so 
Um, yeah, that's how I know Carolyn. Um, I don't think you do the work anymore for that trust. Is that correct? No, you, you, you got too big, Frank. The, the trust got too big. And <laughs> um, I think there was a point where I said to you, Frank, you need to actually employ a, a, a safeguarding manager. Yeah. Um, and, and that was what happened. So although I do provide some supervision still for that trust and, you know, if there's a complex case, then yes, I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll do a piece of work with them. But I noticed that person that was appointed while, um, you know, the, through that conversation, she just won um, Colleague of the Year at their Matt Awards. Oh, fabulous! Um, oh, well, uh, so that was a good appointment. Good well, appoint- done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you uh, in your uh, the work you did there because it was really, I mean, quite re- some of it was reassuring, but other bits of it weren't quite so reassuring. But it's best to know, isn't it? Best to know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, th- I think so, and. Um, you know, when we're talking, last time I was on, we were talking about audits and I was saying about, you know, my, my horror of, um, you know, dummy inspections, people coming in and saying, oh, you need to change all this or, oh, you know, that's all great. And then actually an inspection, that's, that's not necessarily, you know, what, what comes out of it. So, um, the, that, so that was how we talked about me coming back at some point and talking culture, but I'm I'm going to save that for when I've got. Well, to. say that because we will have uh, Carolyn back. We may actually get onto it today because uh, um, some of the points that Carolyn's going to mention, I think, probably do embrace some elements of culture. Um, but anyway, let me start by saying what's caught my eye this week. Well, I, <clears throat> I haven't been sitting on the sunbed. I've actually I read Rory Stewart's um, new book um, about the, at the edge of politics, which I really enjoyed, and uh, it's sort of gives you an insight into things that you thought were bad anyway, but they were proved in a sense by reading the book. And then also I read um, uh, uh, a book that hasn't been published yet by my brother, who's been a guest here. Um, and that's, uh, I really, I really enjoyed that book. Um, but uh, while I was doing all of that, I was, I actually thought about um, a school that I know that's gone into special measures for the first time in a really tough uh, community and I was thinking about some of the uh, teachers, some of the leaders that I know quite well in that school, who actually um, could easily walk into a job in a in a different town, a different sort of school, um, but have chosen to you know, commit their, not quite their career, but commit a significant part of their career to that school. I was trying to find words that sort of captured um, how I felt about those individuals, because some of them are you know, some have been guests here, um, some I've worked with and seen in classrooms, some I've seen doing CPD. You know, these are really talented, highly skilled individuals. And uh, they, they, to be honest, they'd walk into a, a, a job in another secondary school somewhere else. But they've chosen to stick with that community. And, uh, and by gum, you know, regardless of the special measure judgment, I have to say that I would be more than happy for any of my children to be taught by those individuals, you know, and uh, it's something about what, what, how did I feel about them? Well, I, I did feel sort of tremendous level of respect, admiration as well for their dogged determination to stick with it. Uh, there was a little bit of gratitude in there as well, which I, I didn't feel as though that was quite the right word. And I, I have to say, I've really struggled to capture how I feel about it. But there is this sort of thing that sits with it as well, that it's a little bit of, you know, because they do that, I, I don't think they're actually valued to the way that they ought to by the profession. And so when you look at, uh, you know, I, I noticed the Pearson Awards, teaching awards are coming up. 
you know, I suspect that it would be quite hard for one of those colleagues. I hope not, but I suspect it is you know, to win a Pearson Award at the moment. You know, when actually, when I look at the work that they do, I think that we all as a profession need to be grateful because in effect, no one else is applying for those posts. There's a sig significant problem now in getting people to work in that school because of that judgment. But they are sticking with it. And that community needs them to stick with it. And we all, all teachers, anybody involved in teaching, there needs to be, you know, deepest respect for the fact that they are sticking with it and not just running away. Um, because there has been problems with, since that judgment, it, it, it's, it, there has been a bit of hemorrhaging going on. And, uh, you know, but we do need those really, really talented individuals to stick there. Uh, so I'm just really wanted to, to thank them for doing it, but still struggling to find that word. Yes, there is some, it makes me think of a couple of schools in Leeds in, in years gone by, which probably had very similar intakes. And, and you wondered sometimes, I would wonder, you know, how did people keep going to work and keep and keep any sense of aspiration for for the school for the children um and there's the something in in some of those schools it's a real commitment to the community isn't it it's a, it's a really clear it's a really clear belief that these children can achieve and that these children deserve to have the you know the best teachers i mean i don't know the um i'm, I'm supporting a school at the moment which has had a fairly nightmare inspection and the you no know, the, the the commitment from senior leaders to getting it right is it is immeasurable mm. um i i wouldn't work with an organization that i didn't believe cared um but it has a cost the um you know the the the, the the cost to those individuals to keep going to work to keep believing that they're better than a report says they are yes, um, yes. individual as individuals they're better than that report yeah i think i mean emotion yeah psychologically you know i mean i think we forget sometimes don't we it's very easy to think about oh well they go to work as if the work bit is where they experience all that sort of angst but actually it sits with them while they're having their tea. It's part of their conversation. If they have a partner or whatever, it's part of that conversation. It often sort of lingers and, and, and stops you from sleeping, you know, getting to sleep. It's these sorts of things. Um, and I remember speaking to one, a member of staff recently who has chosen to move into a very senior position. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really outside her comfort zone. Uh, there's a lot of training that she's going to require to sort of, you know, to take on that role. But she's been at the school, I think, 15 years or so. She's very talented. It's in a subject area that is in great short supply, you know, but she's stuck with it. You know, I just thought <laughs> you you truly are an amazing individual, you know, to do this um, when it'd be so easy just to, to walk away and go to a uh, probably a more advantaged school perhaps where there's less stress um, during the day, you know. Um, but, yeah, so that's that, during my uh, during my time, my relaxation, I was thinking about those those members of staff. I mean, yeah, I mean, we in the in the trust that I led, we 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 focused in on sort of schools that were in most in some of the more challenging communities. Um, I think when I left, there was only one that perhaps wasn't. And actually, I, I sort of it's in a way sort of didn't cloud my judgment, but it sometimes you have to sort of take into it into if you have to take into account some element of the context are still wanting to have the highest 
levels of ambition for individual teachers, pupils and the school overall. At times that was quite difficult for a CEO, I think, to know how do I manage it? Is this actually, is the context getting in the way of my sort of judgment making, my thinking about the scenario, the, the situation? Um, mm. it's, it's, it's hard, particularly when you've got a lot of schools in those sorts of situations, you know, um, to, to sort of continue to sort of think about, well, is this, is this really good enough? You know, am I part of the problem? Because I'm not actually pushing hard enough, you know? Um, yeah. That, and that fits in with <clears throat> something that Shaheen was talking about last when Shaheen was talking about the impact on senior leaders. Um, and she, you, you picked her up on, um, you picked her up on something. Oh, she was talking about people being depleted. Oh, that's and right. Saw, and, and you said, oh, that's an interesting word. And, and I thought, gosh, yes, you know, so many of the DSLs that I work with, particularly in supervision, they're depleted all the time. And I think for a school like the one that you've just described in the Northwest, there's there's also probably going to be that sense of of just needing to find more all the time, needing to find more. And it, it fits in with something that I do in um, supervision training around vicarious trauma and you know when you're when you're working with children who've experienced abuse children who've been neglected children who've experienced trauma in their lives and you're working in a community where the parents may also be traumatized and the parents are facing so many challenges and they you know they, they, they don't know they don't know where the next meal is going to come from and then all of that is coming into school and the staff are trying to support and nurture and, and and wrap care around that child and that child's family and that community and then that's being passed up towards the safeguarding staff and then in an ideal world the DSL needs to be able to pass on that vicarious trauma to keep themselves safe so that goes to the head teacher and then head teachers are left holding all of this emotion for their community and then you know all the all the trauma and challenges that staff may have in their own lives and and I just thought oh yeah depletion is is really in that's a really interesting very very interesting concept isn't it yeah yeah I think so I mean, what's caught your eye this week then? Oh, for me, it was, uh, it's nothing to do with education. Okay. It's, um, it, it's the environment. I'm, I'm not particularly known for my commitment to, to, to green, uh, you know, to green ideas, but the um, Royal British Legion have launched the first new poppy design in a whole generation. I mean, it's like 28, 30 years or something since they last changed it. And um, it's taken them three years to develop a plastic-free poppy, which is being launched this week. Um, so the entire thing is made of paper and is in, in, and is completely recyclable. And 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 I thought, I mean, it, they said there'll be all the old stock still to get rid of, but to you know to spend that much time developing something which doesn't have little bits of plastic in it. Wow, is a, is a commitment, <laughs> just for a, a very so, small item as well, you know. Uh, indeed, yes. Um, so it's only the seventh time, apparently, in the history of the poppy that it has been redesigned. Right. Well, it's interesting because um, going back into the holiday I just had uh, during the afternoon, we would go and get an ice cream from an ice cream stall, and we always got a tub, and but the tub also had a spoon, and I thought, oh, this is terrible. It's a plastic spoon. Until I looked on it and the spoon was rock hard. You know, it was difficult to bend and twist, but it said compostable 
on it. Uh, and and then you think, oh, well, you know, it, it looked like plastic. It felt like plastic, you know, um, but it, it wasn't plastic, you know, or if it was, it was a certain type of plastic. I don't know whether it, it's compostable, but whatever material they'd use was compostable. Um, so, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, it's, it's, it's symbolic, isn't it, really? It's symbolic. Yeah. The, the, the little wins yes um, the little wins you know, the little wins are the things that will make a difference to now now generations. i saw a tweet from you about two months ago um <laughs> and it talked about a sort of um some significant changes in the safeguarding arrangements for schools that were coming down the line and i have to say as i said to you before i'm completely unaware of these so you're going to take me and i hope some of the people who are watching or listening through some of these changes to give them a better insight into uh, what is coming. So it's over to you, Carolyn. Okay. The, um, so yeah, I think the tweet that you had commented on was the, the conference organizers had talked about me um, telling the, uh, telling the, the, in the keynote in the workshop about the monster (laughs) coming over the hill. And it was because, you know, when you see the darts on the television, and each darts player has got a theme tune and they come out and the, you know, and there's some big rock piece <laughs> banging in the background and everyone's cheering. I decided that I wanted to start my workshop with a, with a clip of music. And I chose Monster um, because, <laughs> because the next, next two or three months is going to be rocky. There are so many new bits of guidance coming out. And, um, and, and so, the, so that, was, that was why Monster coming over the hill was um was in the tweet but uh, but yeah this is do, do, do people been... know about this no i don't think so no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Judging, judging from people's faces at the conference the um but there's i mean you know there are six big pieces of of of, of work that that are going to influence us all um they so it starts tomorrow with new criminal record rules um right. the, what what information is shared on dbs certificates is changing on a saturday i don't know why they've brought something in on a saturday but anyway they have um so that's the start of it and then um in mid-november the government have said they're going to publish the outcome of the call for evidence for the um the piece of legislation mandatory reporting so this idea that professionals who fail to report abuse will be committing a criminal offense not uh, not making that referral and that was a recommendation from the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse they said that the government should make it a criminal offense for right. people that work with children not to report child sexual abuse particularly so the consultation that the call for evidence was asking so who should it apply to um the should it be people that work in regulated activity should it include volunteers should it include police officers i thought that was interesting oh, yeah. and also because it could be as you say volunteers could be i could just visit a school you know just just for a few hours um, yeah. and, and witness something um, yes that's just, I, I mean, I, I might be aware of the legislation, but I suspect most people who may visit the school have no idea that they, you know, that this might trap them. I don't know. Um, uh, no, um, other things in the, um, in the 
in the consultation were what should be reported. So, you know, should it be just if you discover it happening, which would be exceptionally rare? Should it be if a child or a, if a child says they're being abused or if a person says I'm mm. abusing children? Mm. Or that would be that would be fairly obvious as a responsibility. But again, exceptionally rare or signs and indicators and the signs and indicators part uh, of it is uh, very, very broad. So, yes. you know, so they so they were asking for calls, uh, calls for evidence for that. And then should there also be, and I think this is the bit that will be interesting to see what the outcome is in November, should there also be a corporate legal duty, a bit like corporate manslaughter in health and safety legislation? Um, so we're waiting for that. The, the government said they oh, were gosh, the corporate element of it, though, Caroline. I'm just thinking about you know, poor old CEOs or, uh, uh, you yeah, know, actually boards. somebody doesn't report something. You know, perhaps there was a weakness in system sharing. So we talk about cultural sort of problems yes. within a particular institution that could fall heavily onto senior leaders, couldn't it? And also onto trust boards eventually. It could. And I think there's a specific reason why the government have asked that question. But that's also led to some of these other new statutory documents. So I'll hold that for a moment. Right. Um, but yeah, the idea of you know a corporate duty to report um, a trust board. Um, I mean, you can already see what all the training implications yes. could be for this, you know. Um, so, so that's the fifteenth of November. Allegedly, that's going to be published, and we will know something of what the new legislation will look like. And then, you know, whether, I mean, I, I wasn't sure whether there would be enough time in this parliament um, for them to bring in a, a new yeah. piece of legislation. But my guess is that they will drive it through. If they've accepted the extra recommendation, yes. then they will drive it through. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be seen to be somebody who, you know, I, I suspect most MPs wouldn't want that to be seen as the blocker, blocking issue for them. Um, no, indeed. But actually... Um, <laughs> Was it only, uh, I think they're in recess at the moment. I think there was only, it was 18 days of parliamentary debate in, uh, since they went back in the summer. Um, and there's now 11 days of recess and they have the, there's no, not, well, even though parliament goes on, it sort of tends to close down, doesn't it, during the, um, during the party conferences. So, you know, the question is, is there enough time? Indeed. <laughs> Um, so I, I guess we'll find out something about that in um, in, in mid-November, if it comes out when they've said it's going to publish. Right. Um, and then in December, there is new statutory guidance called Stable Homes Built on Love. Um, and the government have told us that that will forever now be known as Built on Love. So you know how keeping children safe is kicksy and working together to safeguard children is just working together. Uh, this will just be built on love, right. apparently. That, that's right. what the government um, uh, press release says. Um, and that is new statutory guidance for local authorities and specifically children's services. And then all the wider children's workforce on how we will work with um, children where there are safeguarding and child protection issues in future. And that's, that's massive. I mean, the, the, the changes are phenomenal. Can There's you give us very... an example of how that might? Yeah. So, I mean, there are very, there are very good things in it. Um, there are also things that worry me quite a lot. So one of the things, do you remember about three years ago, there was um, a documentary I think it was Panorama, maybe a couple of years ago, the scandal of local authorities placing 16 and 17 year old care leavers in yes. unregulated places. Yes. 
you know, um, 16 and 17 year olds who were looked after or who were care experienced. And some of these children were being placed in caravans or yeah. houses with no fire alarms and with and with unvetted staff. Yeah. Yeah. So stable homes built on love. Um, in, they've already introduced the requirement, but it's covered by this new document in December. Um, all of those at the moment unregulated providers anybody who's going to care for 16 and 17 year old care experienced or or looked after children had from this april to start registering with ofsted and they have to register by monday <clears throat> and then ofsted is going to start inspecting them next april wow so well. So the local authorities, I mean, a lot of local authorities would never have dreamt of putting those young people no, in those no. in those settings. But the local authorities that have been uh, will now have to make sure that anywhere they choose to put these young people is properly registered, has got the proper, you know, facilities and is inspected by Ofsted. So um, where is Ofsted going to get the extra capacity? Well, we don't yeah. know. <laughs> where are they going to find people who will know about how to inspect those? Yes, positions? yes. We don't yes. know. But anyway, that's so that's a really good thing that's come out of it. Uh, just, they- just uh, I don't know if it was on the recording, but I was saying that you know Ofsted is are stopping doing um, summary evaluations of multi academy trusts. You, you never know where you know the the loss of the, 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 the that is taking up valuable resource, whether or not. There are some staff there who've been involved in that who might need training to, you know, to undertake this sort of work. I just don't know. But mm. it, 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 the one thing for me is also this: we, Ofsted still inspects far too often, in my view, um, and uh, it doesn't and it doesn't inspect the things that it needs to inspect more regularly. So it ties itself up in sort of like it, stuff that actually has little value. But actually, it just says, well, we've inspected the school, you know, and actually there needs to be a much greater focus on some key elements that we know are often weak in weak schools, you know, and those elements highlight weaknesses elsewhere. I mean, we we're talking before about culture, weren't we? But uh, we've been advocates for, you know, very regular safeguarding reviews and perhaps that not being undertaken by Ofsted. Um, but, you know, that in a way is a sort of there's a lot more intelligence out there than uh, the Nostad's willing to accept, you know, about whether a school or a setting is safe. Uh, But anyway, um, so that's one of the the good things that comes out of Built on Love. Um, The the, the thing that is going to have an impact on schools is some of the tasks which at the moment are undertaken, can only be undertaken by qualified social workers, will no longer need a qualified social worker. Um, what are those? So, uh, so there will be unqualified social workers and lead professionals. Well, we've heard about lead professionals <laughs> before. <laughs> lead <laughs> professionals end up coming from the partner agencies, from schools and from health. And um, so the assessment of children in, in, a, in a wide number of cases, ch- children who need a child in need plan, um, that's all, there's always been a requirement that that assessment is undertaken by a social worker uh, and that the plan is delivered and that will no longer be a requirement. So, who so, will, so just to explain to those people who are not part of that, you know, is this where uh, a child's been identified and then you, it's, it's, there's generally a meeting, there's, a, there's some evaluation undertaken in, um, by a, a, a social worker or a group of social workers and then there's 
generally bringing together everybody has a sort of contact with that family with that child are we saying that those sorts of meetings are no longer going to be chaired yeah. by a social worker yeah right uh, the local authorities will be able to make choices, but I know a number of local authorities that have been in the uh, pilots. Some of them have employed a team of unqualified social workers. So one of the authorities really quite close to you, um, they have employed unqualified social workers who will do that work. But in other authorities, they're, they're saying to a teacher, a designated safeguarding lead or a, you know, a health visitor. No. Oh, no, that feels that feels too risky i mean it's interesting the the way the government's moving towards trying to address some clear risks in the system which seem right and here they're stepping away is this primarily because of a staffing issue um, I'm, I'm, no it isn't I, I think it's come out of, it's come out of a number of reviews including the McAllister review but also learning from um cases like star hobson and arthur labino jones you know why did why did people not listen why did the local authority not listen to people that said these children are in danger so the other thing that comes out of stable homes so the the whole premise of the title of the statutory guidance is children should be at home with their families they should be in environments where they are loved and we need to give parents and families a bigger voice in the child protection system so parents will be required to have an advocate in the child protection system Um, uh, agencies must work together to identify need all the things that we've heard for years you know early identification if we intervene quickly it won't escalate so so that's that's where that document comes from but of course that then leads to other no, there are other ramifications, which is some of the other changes. One of the things that, that you'd be particularly interested, I think, alongside uh, Bill on Love, there is going to be a new national framework, a social work framework standards, which local authorities must meet. And there will be a dashboard and all local authorities will have to report their KPIs on that dashboard. Right. Um, so yeah. there'll be so more scrutiny of what local authority children's services are doing right. in their area and how well they're doing it. So outcomes looked after children, um, outcomes of referrals, outcomes. In well, this is this is this is taking me back to the time when I was leading the joint area reviews, um, mm-hmm. which were integrated inspections of children's services, and uh, around the uh, Haringey case um, with um, uh, the DCS Shoesmith, who was a former HMI, and um, Hammersmith, uh, uh, the uh, uh, local authority, um, all the local authorities have an annual review called an APA. And that actually was, the APA was like um, an annual assessment, just of data, a bit like a a dashboard. And... uh, I think I, I thought, oh, well, that's, that's, that's quite good until I actually sat down with some social care inspectors who were saying, well, you can look at this data in a particular way and it makes the authority look as though they're really on the ball, right? But I can also give you another scenario where I look at that data in exactly this, in a different way, not changing any of the numbers, which then if I gave it to another inspector would make it look as though they were doing really badly. You know, so and and in a way, it was around the the quality of the assessments was critical. You know, so um, the the quality of those of that work. You got somebody at your door there. There is somebody at my door. Do you want to go around the other way? 
Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, family, right. but, but but actually, is that sort of the quality of it? That was what the inspectors were telling me. You know that it's very easy to do the assessments and, and get those ticked off, but actually, if the assessments are not done well, then all you're doing is storing up problems further down the further down the line. You know, um, so I mean, I'd be interested to see how that dashboard develops. Um, from my experience of APAs, it's it's fraught with danger. Yes. Well, that, I mean, those two, I mean, the, the, the other thing in the national framework, as well as the dashboard and the KPIs, um, what we don't know at the moment is how often the local authorities will have to report on that dashboard. Some of it might be three months, some of it might be six months. Um, but all of that is statutory from December. Wow. So we're getting very close now you know, to, to local authorities needing to know what it is they've got to do, but also professional standards, individual professional standards are being introduced around people's approach to working with families, people's approach to recognising, you know, the challenges that, mm. that families will have in communities. Um, the, um, you know, so, so all of that is, is very close upon us. But we don't quite know the final, what it finally looks like yet. So, um, and then the other two things that are coming are um, non-statutory advice. The information sharing guidance, which is non-statutory advice, is being completely rewritten. And that's been out for consultation. I've seen the draft. It's, it's great. I don't think there would be any concerns there. And actually, it would be it will make life much easier for, for schools, particularly when they've got a concern about a child. Um, it, it gives a very strong message to local authorities, particularly to, to children's social care, that they can't use consent as a way to push back referrals. Oh, no, no, you can't. You can't talk to us about this family because you haven't got consent. Oh, um, right, it, makes, right. it makes very clear that the data protection legislation you cannot rely on consent as a processing condition. So that will be quite a big training need for everybody who works with children and families. But but I think it's but I think it's great. I'm, yeah. I'm very, very pleased to see it. And then the other thing that's coming is a new working together to safeguard children 2023, which of course is statutory guidance. Now they've said they're publishing that in December. They're still referring to it as working together 2023, which would suggest it'll be with effect immediately. I can't believe that that will happen. So I assume it's going to be with effect from the 1st of January 2024. But they've said that they will publish it in December. And the, the, the the changes there, the way that schools will work with families, the way that... Um, the way that assessments are done, the end of early help, the end of child in need processes. What we will have instead is something called families first, which brings all of those issues together. A single assessment, which will be called a families a, a families first assessment, which will be done by unqualified social workers. And it's just been introduced from the first of January. I'm assuming it's going to be. They're still saying December, but I'm assuming it'll be the first. Yeah, but of January. I just know that you know it's going to come out on the 18th of December, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's so. going to come out on the Friday <laughs> that schools close, or whatever it I is that, so. that Friday before the Christmas holiday. So yeah, um, so, so I, lots, I, lots I, to get the head loads around. Loads of stuff. Loads of stuff. That I, I, the, the thing for me though is, you know. Um, I, the number of senior leaders aware of these changes is probably very low. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I mean, that's probably why I've been, you know, I've been at a couple of conferences. I've got lots of DSL training booked in for January to you know, help safeguarding leads start to think through 
all these changes and what that means for their work. Um, the uh, designated safeguarding leads all around the country will need to start saying to their, you know, to their local safeguarding children partnership or their training provider, uh, how quickly are you going to be able to get training together for us? Because we're going to be working wow. in this system and we don't know about it. But also policies will need to be changed. And, you know, the DFE, a couple of years ago, the DFE changed the wording in, in keeping children safe, just very slightly. The responsibility of proprietors and governing bodies to update the child protection policy at least annually they added in the at least and this is a great example of why you might not be able to wait till september 2024 the policies will have to change in january february you know because if we've got different information sharing rules if we've got a different way of assessing children in need if we've got a different way of working with social workers that needs to be in school policies as quickly as possible so I'm clearing a bit of my diary just for helping people to rewrite policies, to be honest. Wow, gosh. Uh, so, yeah, lots coming. <laughs> lots well, I coming. knew nothing about that. And, I, I, if I, and I'm, I'm not obviously directly involved in leading a trust or a school now, but um, it, it it's quite sort of worrying in a way that, you know, I, I do try and keep abreast of what's going on. I've, I'm a trustee. Um, I'm still involved in um, a number of local authorities, but actually I was completely unsighted on all of that. So, you know, I think, well, I suppose it makes the point. If you want to find out what's going on, come listen to Carolyn Eyre on Frank's <laughs> chat <laughs> uh, and start worrying. I, I, I mean, if, if people wanted to know more, Carolyn, they can just reach out to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, you know, a lot of the people that, that that watch this probably already know me and already you know, yeah. already have um, have some relationship with me. So yeah, but I'm not I'm not I'm not difficult to find on Google. Um, but you, you would expect, I would hope that local safeguarding children partnerships are all aware of all this and they are already working on. So what's the provision going to look like in our city or our county from December onwards? And you'd expect them to be starting to offer briefings um, to the agencies in their area. Yes. This is this is what our you know, this is what our landscape is going to look like from January. I would expect if I was still in the local authority, that's what we would be doing we would be running briefings now saying, well, we're not quite sure about the detail, but these are the, these are the yes. headlines. Yes. Um, just one of the, when we were talking about the corporate responsibility for mandatory reporting, and I said, I do think that there might be a specific case. One of the things that's a little bit concerning um, in the draft working together, in, in what the government have published for, about the new working together and the, and the dashboard and the professional standards and the framework, and they keep referring to a national inquiry which happened um, in 2022 and 2020, beginning of 2023. And the inquiry was uh, the safeguarding of children with complex disabilities in residential care. And it's got, it's got a long title that the inquiry was looking at, a, you know, a, a broad, uh, a broad range of circumstances, but it had all come from one specific case, which was um, a, a case of two residential special schools in Doncaster where staff were reporting concerns that children were being abused and senior leaders 
didn't believe or couldn't believe or weren't listening and staff were whistleblowing and the whistleblowing wasn't working and they went to know the regulatory bodies who didn't listen the local authority didn't listen and children 108 children are estimated to have been physically and sexually abused in in those two schools so I think that the corporate responsibility bit has has probably come from that Right, right. Interestingly and, and disconcertingly, um, in the government release about all these changes, they rather than call the inquiry by its proper name, they just keep referring to it as the as the the name of those two schools inquiry. Right, right. Um, yeah, so they're referencing that particular organization over and over again. And I think, no, use the proper name. <laughs> and, and, and that takes yeah, us back yeah. to vicarious trauma and what it's like to be in a, in a community or in an organization, which is held up as a place which doesn't do a good job. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So we go full circle. You know, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have to say, um, bearing in mind, we haven't spoken. I mean, in a sense, there a lot of this works well when there's a positive culture and climate in a school or a trust. Um, but bearing in mind, we were going to talk about that more extensively. So we have our uh, anniversary at the beginning of May. So what I'll do, Carolyn, is I'll offer you that special um, oh. date. And if it works well, then we'll have you talking about climate and culture with Stan when he's back. Um, but thank you very much for joining us. And again, as Carolyn says, if you want to know more, um uh I, you know carolyn uh as you found out you know is, is ahead of the curve on all of this so you know just reach out to her and if you want her specific details you can't find them online i'm sure they're easy to find online but just make contact with me and i'll, I'll share the details with you so thank you very much for joining us from the door doing thank Such you and lots of love tonight. to stan yeah lots of well, love to stan hopefully. and his family yeah, I hope his speech goes well. That's the crucial yeah. thing to stand, Happy which I believe day. is going to be a poem. So, uh, um, but anyway, we'll see. But anyway, we'll see you all next week. Um, and thank you, Caroline, for joining us. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you very much.